Welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. Welcome, everybody. I'm really excited this week because we are talking about cover crops. Before we get into all that. No. <laughs> Fine, what do you want? Whatever happened? What ha- I thought we were I thought we were supposed to ease in and you know talk about stuff and talk about the issues. The issues <laughs> are the cover crops. Whatever happened <laughs> to when you get a phone call and all of your electronic devices just start going like oh yeah the speaker kind of interference never happened to that i guess they fixed it yeah i i kind of miss it i thought you were talking about dial up we're on a whole different generation oh yeah i was like get off my modem brett yeah dial speak yeah no i i just was thinking about that and how because like i was imagining receiving a phone call during the podcast and it just like freaked out and and it just would feel a little more human i don't know i mean i can drop things at random or you know make my cat meow or something one of my favorite things is that i used to pay for ringtones and my phone hasn't been off vibrate in like 10 years now so oh yeah that's true that's one of my favorite things to think about see everyone in our all the meetings we used to attend everybody would check their phone at the beginning, but now they're everyone's on silent all the time anyway, so nobody has to check. Oh, their not phone everybody. Anymore. There's always oh, oh, th- one. this is true. Yeah, you are correct. <laughs> My parents have started correct. have started Listen. keeping their phones like impossibly loud on the mm-hmm. ringer because they're retired, so they don't. You know, they they're just mm-hmm. trying right. to answer it. And, and sometimes they answer those during meetings. Yeah, and, that's mm-hmm. and you hear the whole conversation Hello. while you're trying mm-hmm. to teach. Oh, they don't exit the room. <laughs> you gotta set the ringtone to max volume, and then the brightness. To max brightness, I think when you reach a certain age, yeah. So you look at it, and I mean, like when I pick up a parent's phone, it's like blinding how bright <laughs> like it is. A sad lamp. You can get a suntan. That's a suntan. Yeah. If you ever sit through something that I'm moderating, I will threaten you if your phone goes what off. What else the is new? This this is good information <laughs> because you know what? I'm going to borrow every one of my friends' phones, not tell them, turn them all on, and call them all in succession. I yeah, literally boom. start at boom. the beginning, and I'm like, if I hear your phone go off, you need to get out. Your oh, is that, like, is oh, that the phone going off or Alexis? Oh, Which is it? What? Uh, Their phones. We should don't call go each off. other during this to see if she will threaten us to yeah. get off. I oh. have already muted my phone. Flush <laughs> my phone this down. This is your the warning. Okay. I just got burned my phone. There are, just there are listeners out out there that are uh, like, I feel ya. And there's listeners out there going, Oh God, I'm never gonna. S- Sit I'm through anything she's involved with. <laughs> Will County is now County Non Grata for me. Oh, I'm all over. Go. You can't escape. Oh, oh God. Bermuda Triangle. You can't escape. He's me. all over. Oh, I'm it's, afraid now. It's going to be everywhere. Oh, um, I meant to tell you guys, and I haven't yet, so I'm going to tell you now. Uh, on our Hort Culture podcast, uh, you can follow us at, at Hort Culture Podcast on Instagram. We had a, a wonderful listener say that she had just started listening to the podcast as a brand new flower farmer in Berea and finding so much value in the episodes. Thank you. Well, thank uh-huh. you. I'm thank not going to say this person's name on the podcast just because, you know, I don't know if they want. To be said on the podcast, but get called out. <laughs> you and we are excited to hear from you guys. So if well, you ever if have wanna, any ideas, yeah, if they want to get on the pod, you know, maybe we hit them back and say, "Hey, we're looking for some new farmer guests or something." Woo! You know, if you, 
Uh, I'd recently d recorded a very fun little video for our, so I work with the Center for Crop Diversification group uh, on campus. Uh, me and Josh both do. And uh, it's just about specialty crops in general, marketing and, and production stuff. But we did a recording about how to uh, how to use podcasts or how to think about approaching podcasts as a grower. And the things that I highlighted were I think it can, you know, make you smarter. Can You can learn some stuff. It can make you feel a little less alone and yes. like part of a broader community. And like you're you're pulling pulling in the same direction as at least the people that you're, you have those parasocial relationships with through the podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, the last one I said was, you know, if you have podcasts, especially local ones or ones that are really niche consider contacting them and seeing if you can get on as a way to like kind of promote your business, but also bring your business into that, that fold of, of folks who are, who are pulling in that same direction. And so I think in general, we, we like having guests and are thinking about how to structure that. So if, yeah, if there's anybody out there who wants to maybe come on give us a shout and we'll see Pod if we can work something out. Podcasting is not nearly as scary as, you know, radio or like anything live. Cause number one, we're recording. So if you say mm -hmm. a bad word, it's okay. We can edit that out. It's okay. I mean, we, we don't to want to, but we have Alexis. to. Um, I know it's it's mostly for me. That was a that was a. I'm the problem. <laughs> it's me. Um, <laughs> but it's it's just a fun conversation with your pals or you know some other like minded plant people. So I could think of some bad words. Can you? <laughs> Malice. For example, erosion. Boom! Ooh. And Soil. that's the segue, ladies and gentlemen. Microbial death. <laughs> salinity buildup dirt that's a bad word dirt Impaction. sorry alexis yeah weeds in an open field and that's what we're trying to combat these are the bad words that we're trying to wash out of our mouths and everyone else's mouth all across the pod nation all the true leaves already know <laughs> sponge yeah. them from the, that reason we're going to be talking uh, about cover crops today yeah. <laughs> oh, is that what we're talking about? Cover crops? Is that, that, is that the, the issue of the That was day? a transition for the ages, ladies and gentlemen. I need you to really appreciate that. Thank but you. yes, cover crops is Alexis what we're is talking about woman. today. Hype. What up? <laughs> yeah. So I'm really excited to be talking about them today. So we're going to talk. To be fair, Alexis yeah. and Ray are bouncing in their seats to talk about cover crops. I'm no, I'm bouncing yeah. because I want to hear Alexis go off on I cover just, crops. So my, my ag <laughs> agent gave me a um, – they have a new L8 flavor. It's peach. And so I'm just like not only are we talking about cover crops, but I'm caffeinated. Oh, man. Mm. Is the Caffeine the, and sugar. Caffeine and sugar. It's like sunshine and like happiness. I can talk about it because it's a Kentucky-made product, so nobody at me for promotion, oh. product promotion. Okay, whatever. Kentucky Brown. Okay, back to cover crops. So why <laughs> do we love them? Everybody on this podcast, give me one reason why you love cover crops. Josh, go. They look cool when they come in. <laughs> if you've ever seen Crimson Clover, it's I was going to say, you just took mine. Crimson Clover. <laughs> it's, pretty. it's pretty. Ray, why do you love cover crops? Go. Uh, weed suppression. Weed suppression. Brett? Sitting and watching a field of buckwheat as the bees dance around, happy as as a bee in a buckwheat field. <laughs> but have you ever, you guys, favorite things? That's have you ever favorite. had buckwheat honey? Any of you guys? Yes. Oh yes. The mm -hmm. most unique. It's I almost liken it to like uh, sorghum, like that that dark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. But bees love buckwheat, don't they? Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's good. Well, I love i it's really hard for me to pick one one reason but i <laughs> i love cover crops because they have they have some biofumigant prop 
issues mm-hmm. that they can deal with. So you got you got some weird nematode issues. You got some weird ne- again, of yeah. course. What she likes about it is that it can kill things. Kill things, yes. <laughs> is anybody I like how murderous kill alive when it kills other things, yes. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't know me, now you do. Are you the same person that made a video? Yeah, sorry, Brad. She oh, made videos good. of like killing ladybugs. I mean, like oh no, Japanese beetles. I would never. Oh, I'm sorry. I stand yeah, yeah. 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 That was going to interject with his own story. He says, "Yes, yes, kill, <laughs> kill all of them." Yeah, I have a video of me putting uh, at the beginning of the season. I, I the first Japanese beetles I find, I put them on little pikes at the end of my oh. rows. Mm-hmm. Wow, medieval, <laughs> brutal, yeah, lod lacks over here. Yeah. But the, so the biofumigant is sort of like your bioweapon against things that you are yeah. trying to. So, so brassicas, right? They uh, they can be used as a biofumigant. It's it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but it's very exciting if you get it done uh, right. Not to say I've done it, but I have read a lot about it. So, so is that is it similar to like? Like so, like wasabi and mustard, like the spiciness is that the it's mustard same? gas? Yeah, it's the yeah. same kind of similar. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's so literally the what they made. One solution to the problem: <laughs> mustard gas. Yes, Great. it's an old world we solution go old to a modern problem. Crops. but other yeah. So we we talked. Let's start to talk about Josh. What was your what was your favorite about cover crops? I like the way they look. Like the way yeah, they that's look. That's what I said. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I like mm-hmm. the way, like it's a nice thick stand of cover crop is cool. And in general, you ecology people, I've heard, I've heard them. You know, I've gone to their gatherings and I've heard them say, <laughs> I know some things like about trying to keep the soil covered. Yes, as much as you can. Why? Why do that? Why would you want to do that? And what do you, I mean? And like to keep the soil covered. What do you mean? Like put a tarp on it? I mean, are we talking about something? What are we talking about there? Well, I mean, it's something that we talk a lot about in bigger agriculture is this concept of crusting. And I'm just looking for a reason to use the word crusting, truly. <laughs> but uh, it kind of relates back to me. Uh, one of the things I think, one of the great things is it adds organic matter, which has a lot of benefits in the soil. I mean, yeah, there's lots of other benefits to cover crops, but I kind of start there with this concept of crusting and soil tilth, we sometimes say, kind of the... This, talking about the structure of the soil, but organic matter sort of relates to all of that. And when you're dealing with uh, cover crops, you're either leaving it on top of the ground or you're incorporating it. And there's a couple of different reasons why you would do that. But yeah, yeah, it kind of goes back to organic matter for me. That's one of the great things about cover crops. When I think of bare ground, bare ground being a bad thing, a thing that we're trying to avoid and solve with cover crops, bare ground is not a good situation because your soil, it can easily leave your field, right? Erosion. And it's your one. Right. Whether it's wind or rain and that soil that is leaving. I remember one of the first books I read about a, agronomy was that uh, the soil that leaves, you know, due to water moving over the surface or wind blown wind storms, that's your best stuff. Mm. And yeah. so you're letting, you don't want to let it go. And when it moves around where it's not supposed to be, that's the number one pollutant. We don't typically think of soil as a pollutant, but it's a huge pollutant when it gets in waters and streams and it carries those non-mobile nutrients. When the soil moves, you know, those non-mobile nutrients will move with it. So you get lots of problems with that. We've lost so much topsoil over the past, you know, thousands of years. Yeah, (laughs) Even the last 200 years, 30% of the topsoil, yeah, in the U.S. I've seen in the publication. I think we also need to start thinking of the soil as something that is alive. So I know it's mm-hmm. we tend to think of soil as just kind of there and it's in, you know, 
cold dead substrate. It, it, yeah, right. it's just something to grow plants in, but it but it is alive. Uh, and by keeping the soil covered, what you're doing is providing homes and food to those valuable. We say microbes a lot. I just my listen microbes, fungi, you know, insects, whatever it is. Microflora and microfauna. My, the microfauna, microflora. And the macro, some of the macrofauna. Yeah, I mean, some of the macro. Nice worm. You know, a nice but, worm. By keeping the, the soil covered, by having active root growth uh, down in there uh, at the, you know, th- is ideal because you're providing them habitat. Uh, and those are the things that are going to make nutrients available to your plant, uh, make water available to your plant, air pathways, you name it. We need those things to survive uh, if you're going to grow in a soil media. So that's. Yeah. That's what I think about from a cover crop perspective is keeping that soil alive because from an erosion and, and erosion is obviously a bad word and cover crops you help with that. But I can throw a, tar- a silage tarp over top of my soil and not have any of it blow away with the wind. But mm. what, what a tarp doesn't do is provide habitat for those, mac- those fauna and flora that are so valuable uh, to yeah. our plant life. I think another component, you know, this time of year, so we're going to be talking about summer cover crops specifically, but right now we're just in the general cover crop vibe, general cover crop lane, is that this time of year, especially if you move into June, July, you go out and lay down on a bare field in the sun and see how long you want to stick around slash Mm -hmm. can stay alive. That heat can actually be a really detrimental thing to that top layer of, of life. And it can can we can use that to kind of kill some weed seeds and to our advantage in some mm-hmm. cases with solarization and stuff like that. But the cover crops, it's a nice little shady cabana for all those uh, microbes and other stuff to hang out under in the middle of summertime. So, OK, keep it covered. Why don't we just plant back to back to back cover crops year round? Keep these things, mow them down, grow it up. We're going back to Great Plains vibe level of of uh, fertility in the fields. Why aren't, why don't we do that? Well, I would we say. We want to use our soil money. for crops. Yes. <laughs> right. Economics, capitalism. And so, so keeping the crops covered includes a period where we're growing what we would call a cash crop to diverse, yeah. to, to differentiate it from a cover crop. That's, that's all. So it's not keep them under cover crops all the time. It's keep something planted there. And we talked about last week, a lot about the crop rotation side of things, Right. So how do you all, how does, how might, is it just an example to lay it out? How might a cash crop cover crop rotation look in the course of a year? The big thing to me is uh, the consideration when you're starting out is when the cash crop is going in or finishing. And that's a lot of that will have to do with whether or not you're planting a cool season cover crop versus like a warm season cover crop. We touched on just a little bit in the last episode of you know uh, rotating things in and out where that's going to impact your cover crops and the timing thereof because certain crops do well in cooler weather and certain crops do well in warmer weather so you think of cover crops as part of the rotation is that is that part right of the rotation and timing is important uh there uh, because then that's going to determine if you are putting in a cover crop uh, from one of the many reasons that we just discussed you know it's going to impact that yeah when your cash crops are there and then when they're not there, your cover crops are. So why going back to, I think like what you were originally getting at, Brett, why don't we 
okay, if the goal is to have plants growing in an area, why don't we do cash crop after cash crop? Because we've got plants growing in that area. So why would you incorporate a cover crop? Well, one reason would be because you're probably, a lot of us are not growing. There's some people, there's just some really impressive, intensive people out there that are growing year round in an area. Um, like a, if you've got a high tunnel or something like that, you're going to go in maybe with tomatoes. You're going to go back in with your lettuces. You've kind of constantly got something going in there. But I think for most people, they're going to have an off season. So one thing is that you might not want to be growing or outside picking or weeding or doing whatever it is in, you know, February or November when it's just gross outside. So if you have, you can put in a cover crop just to cover the soil and to help with your those winter weeds that we get a lot. But another reason is going to be uh, nutrients from a mm-hmm. nutrient standpoint. So when you are putting in a cash crop, you are constantly removing nutrients from the soil because those nutrients are going up into those tomatoes, up into those beans, into the leaf, lettuce, whatever And then it into, is. My, into my belly. And then into your belly, exactly. So you're mining the nutrients from the soil. What a cover crop has the ability to do is to put nutrients back into the soil. Uh, and again, Incorp- um, help those microbes, you know, get through that process. The plant is usually staying in a little bit longer, depending on the type, but you're typically incorporating them back into the soil. At the same time, you're benefiting from the weed suppression that you're going to get. And then you're rotating, hopefully, if you're doing it right, you're rotating those families. So you're breaking the disease and insect cycle that could be there. So you mentioned uh, uh, nitrogen, Alexis, which we uh, had a, just a discussion on the side. It's the one element that's usually typically most limiting, needed in the greatest quantity, but it's the most mobile in plant systems. Some plant systems, after the plants are produced, you either have less nitrogen than you started with, or you have more, you have an excess of nitrogen, and that also has a big impact on your cover crops. Some cover crops you would plant because you don't want that nitrogen to go anywhere. You want to sequester that into biomass. Mm -hmm. Because nitrogen is like all the other nutrients. When we talked about soil erosion, if that soil were to erode, you know, you're not capturing that nitrogen. So that's a big consideration to me is what's the state of nitrogen after your production of whatever crop? And I think about home gardeners here. I mean, yes, it has a huge impact, especially on commercial producers. But home gardeners, year in and year out, they... um, you know, ask about cover crops. Well, I know that most home gardeners, the nitrogen is so high, the phosphorus and potassium in their soils, particularly in the nitrogen probably is too. It's very high in their soil. And I usually recommend uh, a cover crop that's going to take in nitrogen, not a legume that's going to produce nitrogen, you know, uh, through the legume itself. Uh, so that's a big deal to me is the state of nitrogen after a crop that, that, that's going to really steer me into what sort of cover crop I'm going to get involved with because it's all about nitrogen to me. Not only the nitrogen that's in your soil, but the carbon nitrogen ratio of the cover crop after you're done with it, whether or not I'm going to just lay it on top of the soil through whatever means, or I'm going to incorporate it. All of that's really important. And the flip side. So I, I, grow in a high tunnel and I I have a lot of experience with high tunnels, you can, when I said uh, plants, no matter what you're growing, can mine nutrients and with cover crops, you can help incorporate those back in instead of ripping it all out. 
if you're in a high tunnel setting, a lot of the time we have heavy salinity or we, a lot of mm. soils in Kentucky have, you know, in general have high phosphorus. Uh, sometimes those levels can be so high that they make other nutrients, make it hard for plants to take up other nutrients. So the ratios mm -hmm. get off. Mm -hmm. uh, and what people can use cover crops for is actually to pull some of those. So some cover crops are really good at mining phosphorus, uh, as an example, some floral cover crops, especially because flowers need a lot of phosphorus to bloom. So they mm. will pull a lot of phosphorus out of the soil. Uh, and then instead of incorporating them, they will actually put those somewhere else. So they're either get rid of them, burn them, or they will incorporate them in a place maybe that has low nutrient levels. So in that way, they can kind of be used to actually mine that. And then they might go in with, you know, something like a lettuce that's a low feeder uh, as far as how much nutrients they need. They're just, they're real chill. It's like feeding a baby versus feeding a football player. When a football player was a tomato and a, and a small two-year-old is going to be a lettuce as far as how much they're going to ingest. But uh, yeah, plants can do a lot. I mean, our organic growers especially really depend on cover crops for nutrient management. So, you know, I was just, I was reading to kind of prepare my brain with some facts for the pod. And they did a study here in Kentucky that said that hairy vetch as a cover crop produces equivalent of 67 pounds per acre of nitrogen fertilizer. So it's not like small potatoes. I mean, corn needs a lot if you're going in with corn. No, but it's actually you, a legume, not a It's potato actually a small bean. They're like tiny It's potatoes. a large bean. 67 <laughs> pounds per acre can Big be pretty bean. significant for something to cover crop. And then that's just the nitrogen. We're not talking about the fact that it, you know, helped those microbes out. We're going to incorporate something to produce more organic matter. So our soil tilth in general, the physical characteristics of it are better. But now we also have our nutrients added into that. Yeah, so I've found that what I need is the love and support of friends to bloom in my personal life. So in that way, you guys are my nutrient. We're your marigolds. <laughs> That's what they yeah, I'm good at mining it. Like we're going to call ourselves the NPK bunch. That's I mean, right. <laughs> oh, who's here. who? That's a good question. We're here in macro amounts. I'm just your little you daisy. <laughs> yeah, or huckleberry. How about well, that? So one? if we if we could. Maybe let's go from broad into specifics and talk. So we're, we're right now getting ready to head into the summer-ish season. Alexis, you mentioned, uh, multiple, uh, I think all of us have mentioned that the, the winter off-season is kind of the most mainstream thought about cover crops because it's in between. Even a lot of big commodity growers grow a winter wheat or a winter rye in between their commodity seasons, you know, from that like October, November window up through planting, you know, ahead of in, in April. But right now we're headed into the the summer season. And so maybe uh, we're talking about all these categories and we're talking about nitrogen fixation and sequestration and all these other fancy little words that we're bringing up here. Can we just jump into a couple of specifics of types of types of summer cover crops and how you might use them? Because I think one thing, that we didn't quite mention is that there are times where within a cash crop rotation, you will just have a window where you can't get something else in, in a productive way, another cash crop into that rotation in a productive way. And cover crops can fill that gap. That would be something like buckwheat, maybe a short turnaround. But as far as what, when we think about summer cover crops, what are some of the big ones that come to mind? We might reference some materials here because there's a handful of them but uh, what are we thinking about and, and if you had to summarize 
you know, if, if we're thinking about those categories, what does that thing do? I guess we could think about it what in terms of Alexis, Josh, uh, non-legumes and legumes. That's what yeah, I usually start. That's how yeah. I would think of it. Break, yeah. break it down, yeah. And there's there's some in each category, I suppose. So a legume uh, is like the bean family. Nitrogen. Fix nitrogen yeah. through their and let's give a shout out to the to the rhizobia for being the ones the real OGs who are doing it. They have a the the you know I I dabble in the science arts, but correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> they have these little colonies, these little clusters on their roots the nodules of the uh, of the uh, legumes that are actually the the hardworking microbes that are doing that nitrogen fixation. And so, mm-hmm. as you said, Ray, you could put those in take a soil test before and after and maybe have more nitrogen after you planted it than before. And you know, that may be desired. Not always though. Uh, We've already touched on that. It depends on what your objectives are. And uh, the organic gardeners seem to have a a lot of times a really good handle on this uh, small and large scale production because they take these things into consideration because, you know, the limitations uh, within their systems uh, or the, the confines that they work in. Um, but yeah, the legumes a lot of times will have a kind of a net gain of nitrogen, whether uh, through them making nitrogen or the fact that a lot of them are more succulent and they break down and then, you know, release additional, you know, through different processes, additional nitrogen there. But yeah, that could be kind of a net gain. But and so in, sort of in summertime, category. in summertime, what are we, what are those, that, that category? What are some of them that we're looking at? You know, we, we were kind of throwing some things out there. Cowpea is one that I, I like. That's a summer legume. I've seen that used some. There's some others. I've, I've even seen things like a soybean. I mean, that we don't yeah. often talk. We mm-hmm. don't think of it. I mean, if you guys are familiar with that, I have some producers that actually I've use. I've heard of soybeans. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a <laughs> world crop. Uh, I, should, I guess we should reference that. And uh, yeah, the soybean, it's it's kind of an important little guy. You know, it's kind of an important little guy. But I guess in the conversation here, it's a used a little bit different. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm going to cheat. cover crop. Yeah. I'm going to cheat here and, and read off. So, Alfalfa, crimson clover, and sweet clover are some of the nitrogen fixtures that I think about as clovers. The clovers. Mm-hmm. I generally don't. I mean, they can be used as a summer cover crop. I I generally cool. don't necessarily think of them that way. Um, usually, mm-hmm. crimson clover we're starting to terminate by now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if you and, go and back, that's a challenge is timing. Yeah, that's a great point. Alexis. I think that's the challenge. I think when you think about cover crops, the number one thing, and you're using them in rotation. So first, how can I rot- rotate outside of a family? All right, we've already talked about the, that with rotation. Next is what do I want it to do for me and how much effort do I want to put mm. into it? And so I say that because we talk about the, the cowpea as an example. So what do I want it to do for me? Well, I want it to f- perform, uh, give me biomass, which is pretty standard for most of your copper crops, but I also want it to fix nitrogen. Okay, so I know I'm going to look into a legume. The cowpea does well in droughty conditions. So if yeah. I'm putting it in, right, because it has a taproot. So if I'm putting it in, more in summer when we're, you know, in Kentucky, you know, I'd like to, I don't know, Kentucky weather's crazy, but in theory, you know, July, you're not going to have as much rain and I don't want to have to irrigate my cover crop. I might go with the cowpea uh, because that's something, and it's going to produce a lot of biomass. So if I really need to build my organic matter in my soil, I can do something like a cowpea. But 
you need to think about how you're going to terminate the cover crop. Oh, the regrowth is a problem. That's the third part of this. So I need to think about what it's going to do for me, how much I want to manage manage it, but also termination and time. uh, You know, timing that termination correctly, I think, is really important. Yeah. So before we jump into that, maybe we can explore that for each of these. So the Mm -hmm. the other big category we said was non legumes. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of times, I think typically we think of grasses. Yeah. Um, so the classic ones I think of are uh, sorghum Sudan grass and Sudan grass, but also some of the millets, different mm-hmm. millets. These are the yeah. warmer season grasses that in the case of sorghum Sudan grass, it has no ability to, to handle our winters or even our early falls. Mm-hmm. It's it's going to be terminated by that that cold. And, I, and, I like that. and, and that one, like sorghum Sudan, is a good companion. Actually, if you want to mix it in with what Alexis was just talking about, it's a good companion uh, for some of these things that can be blended in with some of the legumes, uh, mm-hmm. if you've got a handle on the termination process, which Brett, like you said, that one terminates kind of the weather terminates it. So, so when you're thinking brand. about sorghum Sudan, it's a very popular one. It produces again, a large amount of biomass, which means it gets big. So you've mm-hmm. got to have a way to terminate it. Cause you're not going to do it. Or I wouldn't recommend you do it by hand. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will mow this more than one time uh, in mm-hmm. the season so that they can have a better handle because it will get. You in know, other words, 10, don't let it get tall. 10 to in 12 the first And if you mow it, it produces even more biomass. That's a great right. side effect of that. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. It also has weed suppression. So it has a, what's called allelopathy um, traits to it. So essentially those roots, if you've ever heard of like a walnut, black walnut, wilt, yeah. black walnut. Mm-hmm. so black walnut has a um, allelopathy um toxin in the root system called juglone and essentially uh, things like tomatoes are very sensitive to them and they just won't grow and that's how black walnuts keep themselves from being crowded by something else sorghum sudan grass is great for that so if you have an area that you've got heavy weed pressure and you really want to try and deal with that you can go in with something like that we talked about buckwheat I feel like we need to give buckwheat more credit. We've only barely mentioned her. Um, Number one, she's great for pollinators. So if you are trying to attract more pollinators or if you're a beekeeper, buckwheat is a really great one. The biggest reason I love buckwheat is because it's so quick. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to work crops in, you can put buckwheat in and it's flowering in four to six weeks. Uh, And if you need to terminate it before then, it still has lots of biomass on it. So if you need something that you can terminate within a month – Buckwheat is a really good way to go. Just don't let it go to seed. Don't do let not. it go to seed. Uh, and it's easy to terminate. So you can do this by uh, mowing it. You can – I've used a weed eater on it. You can also just drag yourself a tarp over top of it and smother it. Now, again, yeah, small that enough, you can just – you could step on it You could step really on it, and yeah. Crunch. It almost has like a, almost has like a succulent mm-hmm, kind of feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's a great phosphorus scavenger. So if you're needing mm-hmm. to either, um, you know, maybe you've got – phosphorus and you've been having to add your phosphorus, it will go scavenge for it, bring it up into the root system, into that area. And then it'll be right there in that uh, root zone when you go in with another one of your plants. And so that's one good thing that it does for for you. So I thought that Juglone was a fan of the insane clown posse. It may Common be. Common misconception. <laughs> Maybe that's the origin, the, or, the etymological origin. Juggalo, aren't they? Oh, that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> so, if I could just if I could just dig a little deeper on this thing that Alexis has said several times now, this idea of biomass, mm-hmm. it puts on a lot of biomass, and so some people may be like, "Yeah, I know what that means," but in general, what we're thinking of is it takes minerals and nutrients from the soil 
it through the magical processes that plants go through, it takes and stores them and uses those to build itself up over the course of its growing season. So it's taking things that might typically wash out the bottom of your soil profile. They may get used by weeds. They may get blown away if the root, root mass weren't there. It takes them and it stores them in its physical being in this big, <laughs> juicy, leafy biomass thing, this beautiful, luscious mound. And the thing that's cool about that, again, is it it ties it up. It takes that stuff that's there that you've either applied as fertilizer, you've built it up through, through nitrogen fixation, or maybe it was just there already in the soil because you have really great soil. And in the you know events where you have heavy rainfall or whatever, it's tied up physically in that plant. And then when you go to terminate it, all of that juicy, lovely nitrogen and carbon that was tied and other nutrients that were tied up in that plant, when it dies, it you know, you fall down, leave it there, you mulch it, you do whatever you're going to do to or turn it into, you know, cut it up so that it's really finely chopped up and let it decompose. Think of that as the sponge got filled up with all this nutrients. And then when that happens, you squeeze that sponge full mm -hmm. of nutrients out just in time for your cash crop to yeah. soak it all up. Ideal keep, world, ideal world. Keep in, keep in mind, if we're talking about some, you mentioned carbon nitrogen. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's something like sorghum sedan grass, which, you know, it has a high carbon profile, which means there's a net loss of nitrogen in the soil because it At takes nitrogen. Yeah, 10 to 1 is an ideal ratio, roughly, when we're talking about the, you know, decomposition process, but it's 50 to 1. So not only right. does it take the available nitrogen in that plant to break itself down, but it also has to use soil nitrogen to also break that down so that's a real important concept that you have a kind of a there for a while you have a net loss and you're, and talking, you're talking about after you've cut it down yes and it just like your just like your compost pile needs green and brown items in it it's actually yes. going to steal some of the mm -hmm. green items yeah. from the soil for a little while and so that brings us back to that planning out termination that Alexis, you were kind of getting at mm -hmm. is so you got a lot of biomass to deal with in other words you might clog up your mower you might pull out your back trying to do it by hair. hand. Yeah, that's what happened to me. And the sorghum sedan grass. Sorghum sedan grass. Sun baldness. <laughs> and so, Alexis, on the on the termination side, mm -hmm. in addition to the biomass, you have to think about that timing component too, right? Right. So, the more you know, we we said buckwheat's like kind of a very like succulent. Just you know, you can kind of squash those leaves really easily and get either. It's a juicy plant. It's juicy, right? Juicy. It's juicy. Want it, that on a t-shirt? Buckwheat for buckwheat. life. <laughs> so it's going to decompose quickly. So you can. So not only is it a quick crop, but in the hot summer, which is what we're usually talking about when we're we're talking about summer cover crops. Once I once you chop that up and the finer the pieces are, the faster it's going to decompose. So the more succulent a cover crop is, the faster it's going to decompose. So if you can turn it under uh, or cover it with a tarp, if you're doing like a no-till type system uh, and let it heat up and, you know, with plenty of moisture underneath there. So you may have to even like give it a little sprinkle or wait till after a rain or something. But if you let it heat up, it's going to decompose. You're probably looking at 10 day, 10 to 14 days in an ideal situation. If you're doing something that is a lot drier with a lot of that biomass like sorghum sudan grass, for those of you who don't know that, 
kind of think of corn, but even on more steroids. Yeah. Gives you kind of an yeah. idea. It's just, it's a it's a woodier yeah. type texture. If corn is Vin Diesel, so the circumstance grass is the rock. The rock, yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. Oh, well, now it's on. Now, now we're going like, Batista, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Beware of anything on the label that says grows anywhere between four to 12 feet tall. That's a wide range fit, folks. Yeah, so that's, that's yeah. going to take a longer big. period a of grass. time. Yeah. You're probably going to want to till that one in. So you're going to break it down with something, mm-hmm. a bush hog or a flail mower. And it will bind your bush hog or mechanical rotary mm-hmm. style. We talked to, yeah, the flail mower. We talked about it takes sometimes a special cutter. If you let these things get big, you will be frustrated if you just have like a riding mower and a small plot. and You're used to mowing down your beautiful crimson clover. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will get frustrated if you have eight foot of sun hemp or sorghum sedan and try to mow that. It's going to bind all of your equipment, your tillage equipment, so, your mowing so equipment, everything. Just to read between the lines, if you don't have a good mechanism for taking this stuff down, you may want to stay away from sorghum mm-hmm. sudan grass good as summary. an option. Good or summary. sun hemp. Or, or mow it on a continuous basis. Yeah. It's one of Keep the sunniest things. That they'll, they'll come back and you know it'll kind of regrow to an extent. So yeah. So going back to... Th- timelines thinking about timing so maybe i rip out i'm going to use flowers because that's what i i know a, a good rotation for you might go in with some cool flowers cool flowers are all the hype right now literally and figuratively so those are oh, actually planted cool. in the fall mm-hmm. they overwinter and then you're harvesting them starting probably early in our area of the state early april uh through right now well, give me, the- can you give me a couple of examples of those species Orlea, Agrostema, Ranunculus, Anemone. Mm. I'm not sure which language she just yelled at us in. But <laughs> Campanula, Larkover. I called yeah. you an Agrostema. Um, actually, Agrostema's common name is called corn cockle, which I don't like. Um. <laughs> <laughs> is this the Juggalo language that you're speaking? <laughs> Juggalone. Um, Juggalone. So anyway, so I, you're planting them in the fall. They're overwintering. So a, a vegetable version of this might be lettuce or kale, Swiss chard, something like that. So you're mm-hmm. overwintering it. You're going to harvest it until uh, it gets too hot. And so in lettuce world and those things, we call that bolting. Uh, in flower world, we just say that's going to seed. It means the exact same thing. It's just different terminology. So we're about to hit that period in central Kentucky here over the next week or two because we're getting in the 80s and those plants are unhappy. So you can pull that out and some people will go right back in with a summer annual or you can put in a quick cover crop. Uh, and so you could put in something like buckwheat. You have a, let's call it a month just for some easy math. So in June it goes in, it's in all the way through June and then I'm going to terminate it. And by mid July, I can have a second succession of summer annuals going in. So I can put in a Xenia, I can put in Celosia, some of those fast things, uh, or I can put in another cover crop if I want to, and then wait until fall to plant some more cool crops. What that does uh, is give you flexibility. So you can go in with a cover crop uh, or and you if you're not ready because sometimes you're just not ready. You're busy harvesting. If you're if you're a business, you're harvesting, you're marketing. You're just not always ready to go back in, amend the soil, you know, till or add compost, you know, put any plastic back down, trellis, all of those things that go into putting a new crop in. Sometimes you don't have time, but we don't want to leave that soil bare. So we put in a cover crop, we suppress the weeds, we help the soil in between. And then when you have the the ability mentally and physically to go back in with a crop, you can go back in and know that you're not going to, you know, 
have as many problems and you are doing something good for your business, for your, you know, crop, for your soil in the meantime. Yeah, I think I think another application of the the buckwheat you were talking about is like if you put in your first planting of tomatoes and some deer came in and wiped them out or there's a hailstorm or the some blight just pops off like never before <laughs> and you have suddenly this you got to pull them out there's no they're not going to do anything it's nice to have that on hand as a bridge crop to be able mm-hmm. to to make that happen on short notice and it's also it's a nice way to get a cover crop in in that short window that you maybe you want to do that you for, for one reason or another you want some biomass and some food for those microbes and uh, but it sounds like and correct me if I'm wrong it, it sounds like some of the longer season stuff would require a little more planning in order yeah. to fit that in like it's got to be kind of a, a part of your rotation that you're anticipating right. and you know how long it's going to go and that's what I talked about like on on our um crop rotation section where what I'm doing is I have actual plots that are going to stay in a cover crop for a longer period of time. And I've divided up and know that I can sell, you know, a certain area worth of flowers or, or veggies or whatever it is. And then I have a third area that's going to be in a cover crop and I'm just going to move those around every year so that every, you know, every three years we're getting a new cover crop in there. Um, so you can work it in that way. If you don't necessarily want to work it in between your cash crops, um, you can work it in between your plots. You can think of it mm-hmm. as your cover crop plot. So the, the termination on stuff like, uh, like, like grasses, for instance, we're, uh, we're trying to do that before they go to seed, right? Oh, oh yes. <laughs> you will hate yourself bad. if you don't. Yeah, seed's bad. <laughs> Yeah. Can you just say a little bit more about that? Because there's a there's a certain window of time where, like, right, if we take it out at that time, it's less likely to grow back because it's sort of committed to going toward seed, but it hasn't formed seed yet. This is a at least coming out of winter. That's been kind of a time period where you're getting maximum biomass, and usually have to know a little bit about the plant, look for the bloom period because some of these things bloom like buckwheat, and you can base the cut off of that. So you have to know a little bit about the biology of the plant. But yeah, you kind of watch the plant. You want to, in many cases, you want it to make all that biomass if you have a way to terminate it, mow it, and deal with that. And that's in your plan uh, to make all of that, the green tops, you know, mm-hmm. to make all the good stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, like Ray was saying, you know, it's not just about preventing it from reseeding and planting when you don't want it to. It's about um, the plant's physiology and where it's putting its energy right up until it seeds. It's putting a lot into vegetative growth and that's what's giving us what we want. Once it starts going to seed, it's putting its energy into seed formation and it's going to be a lot harder to kind of get those nutrients back out. Yeah. And, you know, we're on the topic today, you guys mentioned earlier, um, a couple of you guys were talking about some really cool tools that are fairly new uh, through the university. Anybody want to speak a little bit more about those? Well, before we go into those specifically, I, I do work uh, very closely with the Southern Sustainable Ag Research and Education Program. That's Southern SARE, which is a part of USDA SARE. It's a, a national program interested in sustainable agriculture. And I would say one of their bread and butter topics across the last 30 years has been cover crops and the use of cover crops because of interest. it's of interest to... Really, anyone from the home gardener scale all the way up to a 30,000 acre, you know, 100,000 acre uh, row crop farm and, and everything in between. And so there's a lot of resources available from them. There's a couple of books. You can download everything that they have for free. It's one that's called Managing Cover Crops for Profit. There's a stuff about man- 
using cover crops as part of a, a strategy for attracting pollinators and giving habitat for beneficial beneficial insects and, and other folks like that. And uh, they also, and I'll, I'll briefly mention too, there's a group uh, called the, there's a Southern Cover Crops Council. I don't know that they've come out with a guide just yet, but there's also a Midwest Cover Crops Council. And they've come out with a really nice summary, short, it's a pocket guide, but you can actually download the digital version of that as well, just to give you a sense of uh, what some of the crops are, what the planting windows are and all that kind of fun stuff. So there, there are some resources out there. I would encourage you to go to the SARE website and we'll also post the link to the uh, the cover crops guide as well as to get as a nice starting point and orientation point. And we will be talking about cover crops again in the future, for sure. We kind of wanted to do the primer and the, and the uh, summer stuff, but uh, Josh, you've been working on something that uh, like made Alexis go, Ooh, this is so cool. So exciting. <laughs> yeah. That was exciting to hear. Yeah. I've been developed. I've been working with the Hort council, Kentucky horticulture council to develop a cover crop calculator Essentially, it's 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 available now. We'll put a link uh, with the distribution material for this episode. But it's primarily targeting people who are working with management areas that are smaller than an acre. Now, you could have a multi-acre farm, but maybe you're just worried about managing a bed that's only a thousand square feet or sixteen hundred or something like that. And you can use this to calculate kind of a high and low seeding rate for a variety of cover crops in Kentucky, uh, whether they're legumes, non-legumes, like we talked about for scavenging nutrients, as well as, you know, we have brassicas in there as well for those of you who are excited about biofumigants and terrorizing the nematodes on your farm. Uh, and there's additional resources there as well. There's a link to uh, Sarah publications and things like that uh, for more details, but it's it's a small or it's a, a simple kind of mobile responsive tool that you can pull up on your phone or your tablet or your computer and just do some quick calculations about what you'll need for seeding for seeding with cover crops. That made me imagine a movie where the, the president of the nematodes very (laughs) angrily says, we do not negotiate with brassicas. (laughs) As a general policy, like it kind of had like a Danny Glover as president, you know, from a disaster movie energy. And so <laughs> I just wanted to share that with everyone. There's a hard line being drawn here. A hard line. Oh, <laughs> Sounds like a great tool. I'm excited to check that out. And there are some, I'm jumping in here and uh, saying that uh, there are some specifically for high tunnels. So a lot of time you're working um, in a smaller space. So the, type of um, termination you do could be different, but also what you need, um, what your goals are for those cover crops are often different because you're working in a structure that there's no rain getting into. Uh, <laughs> so I would, I'd recommend checking those out and they have that for both cool season and warm season. So if you, you know, have to have your tomato cover crop, but maybe you don't do a ton with it in the winter, you can do a cover crop then uh, or vice versa. Um, you know, depending on that. And that can help you, especially if you're having any salinity issues going on. Cover crops can be a good resolution or part and, of and a if, resolution. If you're listening to this and you want to use a cover crop, maybe to establish a field or get some uh, biomass on the field ahead of maybe starting next season to work there or whatever, if you're in any way evaluating right now. So depending on when you're listening to this, that in where we are, generally speaking, April, May through July window is a 
you can there's you could probably find some sort of cover crop to put in mm-hmm. uh, during that time period. And what we'll do is we'll revisit this probably several times uh, over the course of time, but we'll we'll also cover things like the fall considerations and and give a little bit of a heads up on when you might think about seeding that kind of stuff in the future. But it, just in general, if you're coming away from this like, yeah, all this stuff about summer cover crops is great, but I'm listening to this June 13th, is it too late? Well, no, it's not. It's not too late. And you can you can generally figure something out maybe for this year, if not for next year. Buckwheat's always the answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's never too late for cover crops. <laughs> Russia is the number one global producer of buckwheat. Wow. No, no. Oh, that, yeah. Well, yeah, you can make like a buckwheat Shout out, flour, right? Shout out Soba. I love Soba. <laughs> There's a really, really good... It might be... I'm trying to think of what... There's a YouTube video, one of those... It's not a Bon Appetit, but it's in that kind of vein. But it's a really cool video of this dude making traditional soba noodles. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's tricky, so buckwheat doesn't have gluten in it. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it doesn't want to stick together. It's like trying to build uh, you know, out of, a, a pasta out of sand almost. And so it's this <laughs> old like, traditional Japanese technique of like mixing it and being really delicate. And it takes all this time. And then you get to the end and you can mess it up. But uh, to save you the spoiler, he does not mess it up. <laughs> it's really oh, cool. It's on YouTube. Yeah, Soba. Sorry. I'm a buckwheat. Somehow I thought you were going to add lard to stick it right? You are going to add lard to stick it together. I mean, I was waiting for it and it didn't happen. <laughs> no, it's just, 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 just water. I think it's just wow. water and buckwheat flour. And, huh. uh, Sounds more delicate than I would be able to work with. I mean, that's too delicate. Too delicate. That's why you get yeah. him to do it for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm experts. A, yeah, a bit of a... Bit of a buckwheat boy. <laughs> Bit of a YouTuber, it sounds like. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Consumption and production. Josh but- Josh, can you can you save us from whatever I'm talking about? I right will now? try. <laughs> uh but yeah, to go ahead and kind of conclude what we talked about today with cover crops is you know, it's important to know what to seed, what cover crop are you using? Are you trying to just cycle the nutrients that are there and available? Are you trying to fix nitrogen? Are you trying to murder a class of microbes like Alexis always seems to be doing? (laughs) And then from that, you know, figure out when you are going to be seeding and when, and very importantly, how you are going to be terminating that when it's done, because that is a crucial thing to understand before you put stuff in the ground is how are you going to kill it before it, you know, does Thanks, something okay. you don't want it to do. And yeah, we have some new tools for this stuff. There's a lot of publications about cover cropping and what cover crops can do for you in different kind of contexts, different times around the year. And be sure to check out the cover crop calculator. Yeah. I'm proud of it. I'm and at if it you're right a now. major, major computer nerd, you can look at the source code itself and see how it works and adapt it to however you want. Open source king. Yes. And one thing we didn't mention, there there are a wide variety of ways to seed these cover crops, mm. including very low tech as low tech is walking around in the field with a bag or with one of the, you know, a, a belly, I call it a belly grinder, like a <laughs> oh, yeah. thing that you crank to, to, to put it out or a lawn seeder, stuff like mm-hmm. that, uh, all the way up to vacuum seeders and all kinds of other crazy stuff. So don't let that technological thing get in your way. It works for small and large scale. Yeah. I've done mine by hand. I'm not saying it's done that well, but <laughs> it gets the job done. It's artisan. <laughs> Hand casting is a lost art. <laughs> so anyways, we hope that as we grow this podcast, you will grow with us. Uh, and we are excited. Like I said, join us 
on Instagram. Follow us at, at Court Culture Podcast. Please feel free to leave us any of your recommendations. If there's something you want to learn about, hear about, um, we are open to that. Otherwise, you're just going to hear all the, the crazy soba noodle stories that we're going to come up with. So anyways, thank you for listening and we will talk to you next time.